Hello and welcome to the ninth episode of Films of the Week with your host James on Infinity Cast. Today's episode is going to be a throwback episode, so I'm going to be covering two 1990s films, or science fiction horror films, should I say. Uh, first of which is called Army of Darkness, which came out in 1992. The second film is called Cube, which came out in 1997. So let's start with Army of Darkness. Army of Darkness is a 1992 released film. It's actually the third film in uh, the Evil Dead franchise. But I think I'm okay to cover this film, considering that the film opens up with the first two films being summarised and to be honest it stands alone as a, a film that you can watch on its own without having to, to really know what's behind the first and second films within the franchise. This film veers away from uh, the serious tones of the rest of the franchise uh, involving people dying and uh, the ne- Necronomicon being released but I think that the fact that this film adds com- a comedic element and adds a more slapstick approach to the film franchises is, is great. And I think that of the three films, this is actually my favourite. And and it was a really good start for the platform that the TV show uh, Ash vs. Evil got launched from. And I think that if any of you have managed to watch the TV show, which came out uh, in the last few years... I think that you would really appreciate the approach that um, this film goes on and this film is because it's a slapstick film. It kind of blends the Monty Python humour because uh, it's set in 13 AD uh, with the the Ash sort of humour as well as the Evil Dead and ne- Necronomicon and also all of the other uh, bloody aspects of the franchise. But I think it's a really great blend between the two genres of the, the Ash versus Evil Dead franchise is like. And I think that the blend between the two of them is, is strong and I think that this film is the highlight of the, the great combination between two aspects. So let's start with the narrative of the film. The narrative opens up, as I said earlier, with the what happened in the last two films involving Ash and his girlfriend and the death and the fact he had to cut his arm off to have the chainsaw put onto it. And it ends with them being sucked into a portal which throws them out into 13 AD Arthurian um, medieval times. And he ends up being captured by Arthur because he's seen to be on Henry Red's side, which is which is Arthur's enemy, and he gets taken back to Camelot, or a castle which is re- representing Camelot, should I say, uh, and he's given a trial in, involving being thrown into a pit in, with a monster at the bottom of it. And there's a really nice little bit where the one of the soldiers gets thrown in and instantly killed, and there's a massive blood spurt which comes out over um, out of the tunnel and completely covers all of the, the people surrounding the pit. So Ash gets thrown in and he's having to fight one of these deadites, which is basically a evil person which has been occupied by a dead spirit which is seeking to possess a human body and a flesh uh, and to consume all the body and soul. And it's the primary antagonist for the entire franchise. But yeah, so he fights the deadite in this pit and ends up um, getting his hand chainsaw back and able to, to cut the head off of this deadite. And he managed to get himself out of the pit and start to get on the good side of Arthur. And the narrative progresses from that point onwards. He's starting to become accustomed to the 13th century lifestyle. uh, And he terrifies all of the people in the the city slash castle with his boomstick. And there's a lot of one-liners. There's a lot of different uh, points within the narrative which adds humour to it. 
And if you want to watch a slapstick humour film, then this film is definitely right for you. It really blends the Monty Python Holy Grail sort of setting with a kind of evil thriller twist within there. And for the vast majority of you out there, I'm sure you've watched um, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. But the the, the, the humour within that and the fact that it blends that and horror or thriller genre really appeals to me. There's a scene that really makes me laugh and I think it highlights the, the humour within the narrative of the film. Uh, this scene involves um, Ash's character um, getting into a windmill and he gets scared by a mirror reflection of himself and he ends up breaking the mirror and loads and loads of different versions of him come out of the mirrors and it kind of gets the Gulliver Travels sort of vibe um, with all the smaller versions of him pinning him down and using massive implements as uh, ways to try and mess with him from little forks to try and poke him to even knocking him out or managing to knock him out and tie him down but that sort of humour was is quite funny and I really enjoyed the visual aspects of, of the film. It's really hard to do in the 1990s to get eight different characters as well as your main character on the screen but I think that the, they did a really good job blending the uh, green screen aspects of them being on a green screen set and implementing it into the scene involving uh, Ash's character and it's there's one point where it doesn't quite match up involving when the cat uh, one of the miniatures jumps down his throat uh, but I think that the vast majority of the green screen work within this film is pretty solid from start to finish. From that point onwards, there ends up being a progression to the humour involving a mitosis sort of effect to Ash's character. So the miniature version of him that jumped down him ends up splitting from him and becoming uh, an evil Ash, or as he calls himself an evil Ash, which is basically all the dark thoughts and all the, the dark habits that Ash has has now left his body. And he ends up killing, Ash ends up killing Evil Ash and burying him before going to try and find a Necronomicon to help him try and get out. For any of you out there who really don't know what Ash's character is like, there's a sequence involving him and the Necronomicon and he's one step away from being able to get home. But the, the wizard who is part of the Arthurian um, castle tells him to repeat one word, well a few words, and Ash couldn't remember them. Uh, and he ends up trying to fluff his way through the ritual to try and get the Necronomicon to work and ends up um, releasing an army of darkness to battle the Arthurian knights, uh, which is later on the narrative of the film. And that really is the, uh, the character uh, of Ash. He's not really the quintessential action hero. He just wants to think about himself and not think about any other people and that's that's okay it's a fresh take for me to, to have an action hero who doesn't really care about other people and has a self-worth far greater than he feels other people's lives are worth and that's that's weird and it's a nice nice thing for me to be able to see and Ash's character is a love or hate him sort of character you either really find him annoying and his humor very slapstick and horrible or you really enjoy it because it's a it's a new character it's a new fresh take and Bruce Campbell, the, the guy who played Ash, really threw himself into the role. And the role is kind of like a Jim Carrey role. He's very exaggerated, very flamboyant with his actions, his movements, and the way that he's presented on camera. But Jim Carrey has been loved for so many years, as well as his humour being loved for so many years. And this plays into a horror-thriller aspect, which Jim Carrey hasn't really ventured too much into. I think that Bruce Campbell did a really great job of incorporating the characteristics of Jim Carrey into this role as Ash. 
My favourite scene within the narrative of this film is actually the point where the Army of Darkness ends up going to the Arthurian castle to fight um, Arthur and Ash's characters because I think that the, the work on the skeletons and all of the Army of Darkness is actually really strong and even the work on um, Evil Ash, who is actually played by Bruce Campbell as well. Is, is really good and I think that the blend of the CGI and the green screen and even stop motion work really fits well into the, the narrative of the film and I think that anyone who wants to watch this film can really see that they did a great job of blending the false characters with a live action performer should I say and that's really good for 1992 which is when this film came out is that it was really hard to be able to blend CGI character characters with live action performers and it's something that as a modern media viewer we don't really appreciate that much is that there's a lot of work that goes into creating these characters and yes they might not look the best but they're really helping to, to progress the narrative and be able to show a realistic aspect within the world and I think that having the skeletons and having a really weird um, evil ash clone is really strong and even the um, scene involving all the miniature versions of him is really well done and I think that a lot of effort got put into this film to be able to make sure that these elements were strong and were able to carry themselves forward heading forward into the narrative of the film and this if you go through the shot by shot of the fight scene there's actually some really nice elements within there that people might not have caught up so when they the soldiers end up fighting the skeletons there's really nice sequences involving heads being cut off in the backgrounds and people being stabbed and it's really well done and i think that it could hold up in nowadays obviously it'll need a bit more of a polish uh, for the expectations of cgi characters but uh, during 1992 this is it's a really strong um, cgi aspect with most films that I've ended up covering nowadays, this film actually got a lot of critical success, which is a really surprising thing considering that this film wasn't beloved by any critics, or the franchise wasn't beloved by critics before this film. So yeah, it managed to win itself a 7.5 on IMDb, 73% on Rotten Tomato, and even a 3 out of 5 on Empire, which again is, is really strong considering this film was a slapstick, uh, holy grail sort of film. It also managed to win itself uh, 12 awards over the 1992 award ceremony involving Best Science Fiction Horror Film at the Academy uh, of Science and Fiction History Films in 1994. It also won managed to win itself Brussels International Film Festival fe uh, Fantasy Film. It managed to win itself for so, so many awards. If, if you're curious about the directorial awards and things like that, then, then please check out the IMDb. But the fact that Sam Raimi, the uh, director for this film, is is mainly known for his work on other great films like Spider-Man, Evil Dead, The Grudge, The Crawl, uh, and even Don't Breathe, which is another great horror film if you haven't been able to watch it. But Sam Raimi's done a lot of work involving horror films over the last decade or so, and you probably have seen a fair few of his films over the years. Uh, and without realising, but he's he's gone on from this film to be able to do some great films and being able to be part of such great pieces of work. And I think that Sam Raimi is the massive selling point for this film, is that it was to, towards the start of his um, directorial films, and I think that anyone can appreciate where people start from and where they finish, and this is a great starting point, point for Sam Raimi. And he even managed to get himself a cameo within the film. Towards the end of it, Sam Raimi is actually one of the clerks who actually um, 
Ashley is trying to tell this story to. And yeah, I, I think that it's really nice when a director ends up being a part of his films, which is a very Quentin Tarantino sort of uh, directorial role. But I think that having Sam Raimi do it is it works really well for the narrative of the film. In doing some research into Army of Darkness, I also managed to find out that Sam Raimi actually wanted this film to be a 12 or a PG rated film. So when you watch it, it actually doesn't have too many kills and bloods within the narrative of the film because he wanted an audience to be able to to watch it with their kids and maybe just have it on um, in cinemas and have a larger audience to, to view it because the humour tails towards a more childish humour and the aspect of death and fighting against a fantasy evil he wanted to pitch this as a, a PG as I said but the the board of certification and um, guidance issued this even an R-rated film and I don't get that I don't get how this film is considered a 15 or even an R-rated film, which is an 18+, plus, because there's only one point involving excessive blood, which is involving the pit death. But apart from that, it's just slapstick humour, there's a few dead bodies here and there, but if you look at any action films that, that are rated 12 or even 15, death all around and there's intended death completely surrounding all the characters within some of these films. So think about San Andreas when all those buildings are coming down or even uh, massive disaster films like 2012 which end up getting a 12 rating. You don't see the death but it's insinuated that there is death within the film and this is what uh, Army of Darkness does. It insinuates there's death around and there's people being killed left, right and centre but there's no gratuitous death, there's no over-exaggerated death which happens when some horror films and I, I do feel sorry that this film did get categorised as a 15 because I really don't feel as though it was. Okay well that's about all the time I have for Army of Darkness today. Uh, after this little break I'm going to be talking to you about Cube which is a 1997 horror film which is a little bit more bloody and a little has a few more deaths than this film so if you're into that sort of thing then I would highly recommend you listening to me covering it because it's, it's a good film and I think that again it's flown under the radar. So yeah, I hope you stay for that. Hello and welcome back to the second part of this podcast. I'd like to now talk to you about Cube, which is a 1997 R-rated film uh, out of America. This film, as I said, came out in 1997 and I think is one of the most underrated horror films of all time. And that's a pretty big statement to put on to this film, but I genuinely think that this film is the greatest of all time, or one of the greatest horror films of all time, because it blends a really cohesive narrative with horror aspects as well as having a plot that twists and turns throughout the entire point of the narrative and I genuinely think that the synopsis sums up pretty well for, for what it is. So it's six complete strangers with a wide, or wide ranging of personalities are individually placed inside this endless maze consisting of death traps and they have to find their way out of it using their logic and brain to try and solve the problems that are ahead of them. And I genuinely think that that is the perfect example of what this film is. It is basically traps in rooms or there could be traps there couldn't be traps and they've got to find a logical way of finding their way out through the entire maze because they don't know whether the room's going to have uh, traps in it they don't know whether the rooms are going to be empty or have another person in them and they've got to open the door and go in and try and find a way to either survive the room or try and work out why this room is safe compared to the other ones 
and I just love it. I just love the way that it's shot, the, the small setting, and even the fact that these rooms were actually made. Obviously, the traps are all CGI and computer-generated to be put into these rooms, but from a production standpoint, they actually created, I think, about seven or eight different types of rooms with colours, with different blood patterns, with dead bodies, with other aspects, and they, they kept it as an open set. So the, four, so the, the uh, left, centre, and right wall are on camera, but obviously the back wall is completely able to be shot into and the, the limited setting the limited uh, cast experience within it is strong as well and I just I just love all of it the aspect that I enjoy most about the film is actually the colour palette of the film and the just the whole tension that comes behind all of the colour use within the film some of the rooms are bathed in lovely golden white light, some are bathed in an orangey red glow, some in blue, and some are green and whatever. And all those aspects adds to the tension of the film because each room is different, different colours, different settings, different traps, different aspects to them and no one really knows how to get out of it. So when the six of them end up meeting up at the start of the film, you don't really know what the what way is going to be because for some reason they're all in there. Some of them have been chosen, some of them have selected themselves to be in, the, in there. And you as an audience member, you don't really know why they're all there, whether this is a prison, whether this is an experiment, whether this is just a social thing or whatever. But you find out towards the end and it, it is one of two films. This, this film is Cube and his second film as well, which isn't as good but the narrative of the film and the whole uh, overarching narrative between the two films is is there and if you are curious about why they they're in these, these traps and why the people in this cube then you, you can find out and I'm sure you can search on social media or internet or Google or whatever it may be to find out the reasons why these people are within the cube should I say Cube also has a really unique aspect within the film. It also doesn't actually leave the cube at any point. The whole film is set in this cube. From when the film opens up to this man being killed straight away to the end of the film when the the cube is finally solved or finally being able to be understood, should I say. And that adds to the atmosphere of the film. It adds to the feelings that you feel for, towards the characters because each one of them is in this setting as well. And it also makes it feel like you are in that room with them. You are with them as they're trying to solve these problems and come, trying to find logical explanations to why they're being put in here. And that's the heart of the film. It's the heart that beats within this film. Is that all these characters have their own motivations. Each one of them has a different characteristic. Each one of them could bring a different thing to the table. And as a passive viewer, you start to think these people have been selected. They have been chosen to try and solve this impossible cube of death traps and other things. And the core concept behind this film is strong as well, with the whole cube being... Um, death traps. Obviously it plays on the fact that Saw and other death porn um, sort of categories are coming out of this sort of time but I think this this is the birth of it. I think this is the birth of the enjoyment behind seeing people having to use their brains and using their will to survive to be able to survive these things and all of the characters in this are all capable and all understanding apart from only one character who is mentally challenged called Kazan. The rest of the cast are all comprehensive and all really intelligent people from university students to policemen to doctors to physicians to whoever else it may be and all these people come in and then 
and all have their own element that they bring to the team apart from Kazan. Kazan is the outlier, a wild card within it. He's mentally challenged and struggling, struggling to understand the whole world that he's been put into. And it makes you question why he's there and why he's been selected for this. And it never really gets explained, but there's lots of theories behind why he was picked in there, who he is and what he represents. And this film makes you think, makes you try and understand why they did this, why they did that. And the character motivations are all so realistic and so thought-provoking that you can watch it three or four times and have the same thoughts come into your head, like, why did this person do this? Why did they do that? And these things add the water cooler effect, should I say, where people want to talk to other people about it. Oh, what do you think to this? What do you think to that? Oh, I can't believe this person did that and this character did this. And those aspects are really strong within films. It gets people talking and gets them, getting the word of mouth out there. And I think the Cube, on such a low budget of only £300,000, did this and it is one of those water cooler films that people talk to talk to you about because it is a great film and I I truly honestly think that this is one of the best films to be made out there because of all of the symbolism all of the narrative progression progression and even the CGI the setting and the budget all play to to me and add to the aspects of the film that I really enjoy as a media student myself and being able to have a little bit of a deeper dive into the understanding behind this film. This film is a philosophical and also very uh, advanced film for its years and there's many many videos on explaining the symbolisms and all the hidden meanings behind the narrative and I think that if you end up watching this film you will want to ask questions, you want to talk to people about this film because it does make you think, it makes you think about your life, it makes you think about the world that these characters are in and why certain aspects of certain things and the symbolisms behind certain aspects within the film and that's the great thing about social media and living in the 21st century is that there's so many different platforms different places for you to be able to listen to people talk to about to you about it and yes there's going to be spoilers and that's why i recommend you watching the film first because there's a lot of things that i'm having to try and dodge around with characters and the psyche behind characters and the way people act because this film adds the cabin fever element to a film in which people are locked up in an area and they can't get away from each other and things start to get worse and worse and characters change, people change, ideology ideology change, the rules to survive changes and there's a very human aspect within the film and it's very human for people to be able to want to survive and do whatever it takes to survive. So the betrayals, all of the deaths, all of the uh, misleading consequences that other people have told each other and all these elements just blend in and adds to the psychological aspect of this film and yes it's a psychological horror it does balance the um, thought provoking thoughts of horror films as well as adding the gore adding the death adding a thought provoking aspect to the film because those all those elements add to the the appeal of the film and also adds to the success of this film as I said, or alluded to, should I say, this film was both a critical and commercial success when it first got released, and getting a 73 on Rotten Tomato, 71 on um, IMDb, and also a 4 out of 5 for Empire. And just having such a great critical success is always amazing for a film. And being a, a low-budget film and getting this commercial success 
is so good and I think that um, Vinciani Natelli, the director, should really be proud of this project and he's obviously only known for The Cube but he's he's gone on to do Lock and Key which is a Netflix original, In the Tall Grass, Tremors, Westworld, Lost in Space, American Gods and all of these massive TV shows from the success of this film and you as I said probably don't really know him as a director but you've probably seen some of his work and he's done a lot of TV special um, TV films from The Strain which I know my, my dad and my brother really enjoyed when they watched it and it's all really well done but it all came from him being a director on the cube and using his intellectual um, knowledge to be able to help him to get this film to a western audience and be able to get them to enjoy uh, the horror aspect and it's the really the birth of the torture porn as I said earlier and I think that James Wan and Lee Winnell who I've covered in past podcasts who directed and wrote Saw really got inspired by this and built themselves a platform to build their torture porn in the Saw franchise off and it's just the birth I think the birth of what would be considered as the modern horror film which is the torture porn which is the death and the over exaggerated ways of killing people because in the past loads of horror films were just there to scare people get the jump scares but this actually puts people real people in places that will make them uncomfortable and will get people to think oh why why what would i do why are they in this and all those aspects come into play and i think that he is a massive inspiration to anyone who's trying to seek a modern horror audience because th there's desensitization to horror at the moment and i'm one of those people who don't, isn't really affected by what is seen as the relaxed horror in your 80s and 70s films and even going back in time to Frankenstein, Invisible Man and all these other films that are considered horrors but when you start to dive into the psychological aspects of horror films nowadays you start to see that people enjoy death, enjoy torture and enjoy the grounded and human reality within some of the horror films at the moment and The Invisible Man managed to get itself a re-release or should I say a revamp in 2018 and that film really has more of a gory aspect of the film when you compare it to a 1950s film and there's 50 years between the two films but even adapting from the source material of The Invisible Man and making them more bloody is what the modern audience wants. They want more blood, they want more death, they want more jeopardy, they want more at stake and they want it to be more realistic and The Cube is the perfect start for this and it's a perfect segue from this um, kind of jump scare horror into a more bloody and more gratuitous horror franchise which we all seem to be able to la keep lapping up nowadays. The Cube also managed to win itself a fair few awards over the years including best home video release film in which a film is only released on DVD rather than film and that's another big thing is that this film didn't have a theatrical release it was only a straight to DVD release but it still managed to make itself a lot of money considering it was only released to DVDs uh, back in the day should I say. It also managed to win itself uh, the Brussels International Film Festival Award uh, for the director, Canadian Society of Cinematographer Award uh, for Derek Rogers, also managed to win itself a load of fan awards in Italy uh, for the director uh, from Best International Fantasy Film to Best Jury Award to Best Fantasy Award to Best Genre Film in those awards and it 
winning all those aspects and all those films is great, but from a uh, Western audience point of view, it didn't win any of the Western cinematography awards or anything like that. But this film is beautifully well shot, and I think that it can be seen as an instant classic for when it got released to where it is now. And I I really enjoy it, and I think that anyone who wants to watch uh, a really highly rated film in my eyes, then this is up there for me. Well, that's about all the time I have for today's podcast today. I really appreciate any of you staying to listen to the end of this podcast. Uh, as I said, this has been the ninth episode of Films of the Week, so I'm going to be doing a little special episode for episode 10 next week. So if you want to stay tuned uh, to, to that and be able to listen to that, uh, you can follow in the Cast on YouTube and or Spotify, and I'll be talking to you next week. <laughs>